Well, we open in prayer. Good morning, Father. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we lift up our praise unto you with these hymns, Father. And what a great hymn that was, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your word this past week. We thank you, Lord, for the things you have carried us through. We thank you, Lord, that you have been faithful to those you have called by your name. Lord, as I come to your word this morning, Lord, in all truth and honesty, I ask for your help. Please, Lord, grant a measure of your spirit to speak accurately and rightly before these, my brethren, that they'd be read, led rightly in your word. Lord, for no other reason that you might be glorified in this place, that you might be lifted up, and that we might better follow you. We thank you for this opportunity, and I thank you for the honor, Lord, of standing up here. May, Lord, I serve you rightly. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, good morning, first of all, uh, we're going to have a, we're going to be reading our, our verse this morning that I'll be preaching out of is from John chapter 5. It's one verse. Uh, we'll spend a good deal of time in Psalm 11, 111, and in our other reading from Titus chapter 2, verse 12 through 314. So if you want to put your pinkies in both of those, uh, you'll be, uh, you'll do well by yourself to be there. So this morning, I would like to ask you, what is your testimony? What is your testimony? Normally, when we think about a testimony, it involves the sharing of the gospel, perhaps uh, someone special to us that, had, that came forward and, and led us to the Lord to help us hear what the Word said. Uh, it might be something the Lord showed us. It might be part of our repentance and our conversion, us telling somebody about that, what that is. But this morning, I'd like to look at our testimony from a different angle. Or you might say, as, as I call it, our, our other testimony. Our scripture this morning is going to be from John chapter 5, verse 36, where Jesus says, But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. flipping my pages too quickly. So the question is, as we read this, what works did Jesus accomplish? What did he do? How did they testify about him? And what this verse should say to us. So looking at John 5, 36, the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do. What did Jesus accomplish? And how did he accomplish it? I'm going to be going all through the scriptures. Uh, again, if you stay in these two, that's fine, but, but, I don't, but, but forgive me if I... I'm going to try to slow down as my wife tells me, but forgive me if you don't keep up with every verse. So as we look near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus prayed, to, prayed in John 17.4 to the Father. Excuse me, John 7.4. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. In fact, if we were to look even later in his ministry, even as he hung on the cross, we see these words in John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing 
that all things had already been accomplished from this accomplished, comma, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. What things had already been accomplished? All the works that the Father had given him up to that point. We need to understand that there was a body of work in place for Jesus to do when he, before he went to the cross, before he was baptized, even before he was born. When he came to the earth, the script was not about to be written. The Father did not start looking for tasks to do at that point in time. The tasks had already been written down and assigned. Not only this, but the Father expected obedience. The works to be accomplished by the one he was going to send, by the one he was going to send. As Isaiah 42.4 says, he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice on earth. And we know from Isaiah 53, at the end of it, at the end of his life, it pleased the Father to crush him. Isaiah 42, 6 also reads, And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. In order of the covenant for the covenant to have been fulfilled, his servant must live first an entire sinless life, the Father expected his works to be accomplished. We can tell these by these words. Remember, we read from our call to worship in Psalm 111. Let's turn over there. It's, uh, in this psalm, we see the praise to the Lord for his works. In detail, we see how his works are described. In verse 2, we see great Excuse me, verse 2, we see great. In 3, <clears throat> we see splendid and majestic. In verse 6, we see powerful. In verse 7, we see that the works of his hands are truth and justice. And we go down further to 8 into 9, into 8, excuse me, into 8. We see that when his precepts are performed, they are, they are done in faithfulness and uprightness. So if Psalm 111 is correct and is accurate, then these words, and these words describe the works of God, then it stands to reason that these also describe the works that Jesus was given by God to accomplish because they are too the works of God. In fact, as we look at Psalm 111, it builds to a crescendo as we go into 7 and to 9 because we see clearly the works of Jesus in them. All his, the works of his hands were truth and justice. All his precepts of teaching were sure. What Jesus said is upheld forever and ever. And when he did the works of God, performing the precepts of God, they were performed in truth and uprightness. The works of the Father are indeed reflected in what Jesus was given to accomplish. Then verse 9 describes an individual and individual work of the Father. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Do we see the work given by the Father accomplished in these? Jesus fulfilled this completely. But where are the others? 
If we look back just at verse 5 within Psalm 111, we see he has given food to those who fear him. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Did Jesus not say, I'm the bread of life? He who comes after me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will not thirst? In Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, did not the Father say to the Son, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over thee. I will appoint you as a covenant to the peoples, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Did Jesus not say in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. Did not the Father say in Isaiah 49, 6, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Judah and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And in John 12, 32, did Jesus not say, and if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto myself. Did not Isaiah 52, 14 say, just as many were as astonished you, so his appearance was marred by more than any man. And Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chasing for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Did not Jesus receive the scourging, and the crown of thorns, and the beatings of the guards, and his crucifixion, and yet did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter? Did not Jesus accomplish the Father's work? Jesus said in John 5, 19 and 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him even greater works than these, so that you may marvel. The Son does see what the Father is doing. We have not even begun to speak of Jesus miraculously feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000, even as the Father fed the widow and her son. We have not mentioned the healing of the blind, the lame, the withered, even as his father healed Naaman of leprosy in his dealings with the Aramean army and giving them blindness and sight. Nor have we looked at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead as the father did the Shunammite son through Elisha. The son sees what the father is doing, that he might do the works given him. As Jesus said in the beginning of John chapter 9, when asked by his disciples of the man born blind, Verses 3 and 4 state, Jesus says, It was neither this man that sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one else can work. It is important, as we look through these, that we pause for a moment to understand the faithfulness of the Son. There was a body of work to be accomplished. 
And as Jesus says in 829, John 829, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Yes, it's important to understand that Jesus was a faithful son in everything given to him. Because for Jesus to fail in any one work given to him or fulfillment of scripture is to negate his testimony. Remember, as in the main verse we are looking at back in this morning in John 5.36, for the works which the Father has given to me accomplish, the very works I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. Look at how Jesus spoke to the unbelieving Jews in John chapter 10, verse 25. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify about me. And in verse 37 and 38, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. That's the unbelieving Jews. Now look at how he responded to Philip and the disciples in John 14, 10 and 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. To both unbelieving Jews and his own disciples, Jesus is basically stating to them, if you can't believe what I'm saying, believe the works the Father has given me to do because if they testify that the Father has sent me. How do they testify? Because they are the same works the Father did. Thus, they, ref they reflect him, the Father. Remember in Psalm 111, Keep in mind the works of God. The entire psalm is his works. Thus, again, the works of God are what Jesus did. They are great. They are splendid. They are majestic, gracious, compassionate, works of truth and justice, performed in faithfulness and uprightness. They are indeed the works of the Father. Why is this important to us? How does this apply to us? For two reasons. First, because Jesus said to his followers in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Our Lord said if we believe in him, we will do the same works he did. Now, too often, we were taught to read this verse and think if we believe rightly or we believe enough, greatly enough, we'll do miracles like Jesus did. No, look again. What are the works of God that Jesus was given to, get, given to do? How are they described? They're great. They're splendid and majestic. In God's eyes, what, do the, what does this look like? Being compassionate, being gracious, works of truth and righteousness, uprightness, 
faithfulness. The works we do should reflect the attributes of Jesus, thus reflect our Heavenly Father. Secondly, unless we forget the last line of John 5.36, but the testimony of which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Did not Jesus pray to the Father in John 17, 18? As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. How was Jesus sent into the world? One, with a body of works to be done that reflect the Father. And two, with an understanding of obedience. As Jesus tells us in John 14, three different ways. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, in verse 15. In verse 21, he who keeps my commandments, and ke- he who keeps my commandments, so I think I mistyped that, and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Consider Paul's words in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's take a look back over at Titus 2 together. As you turn to Titus 2, With this understanding in mind of what God's works are, taking what we see in the Old Testament in Psalm 111 and understanding that the attributes of God's works are the same attributes of Jesus' works because they are the works that Jesus was given by the Father and understanding that these are the same things as Ephesians 2.10 said, that they are good works created in Christ Jesus, so they are the Father's works, created in Christ Jesus, no, excuse me, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, who? It wasn't just Jesus giving us these works, he gave us salvation, but God prepared the works beforehand that so we would walk in them. So with this understanding, we come into Titus 2, and if anybody has not read Titus in a while, I have fallen in love with this book. Because it is a letter to a man with a baby church who is teaching Christians how to be. And we often look at it just at, as the elders. What are their attributes and how are they to be in older women, older men, younger women, younger men. But if you read through the rest of it, and as we did earlier, and I'm going to read it now, we'll see a common theme that he reads through. Actually, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, No, I'm going to read the whole thing again. Excuse me, 2.11. You know, if we're going to spend time on the Word of God, it's not bad. Verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. For the blessed, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify us for himself a people 
for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me here at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zemus, Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so they will not be unfruitful. I hope you see the connection. Paul in verse 5 gives, excuse me, Paul in verses 11 through 15 of chapter 2 gives a five-verse synopsis of what God has done in Christ for us. But in verse 14, have we taken to heart that we have not only been saved from lawless deeds, but he has purified to himself, purified us to himself, a people of his own possession, zealous for good works. And yes, the word for works here is the same, excuse me, the word for deeds here, depending on your variation, is the same word for works that Jesus uses all through John 8. This word zealous by Paul is the same word he used in Acts 22, verses 3 through 5, when describing his zealousness for God and persecuting Christians even unto death and binding men and women and putting them in prison. Yet he uses that word here. Are we zealous for good works that God put in place, prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them? Look at verse, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men, are we ready for every good work? Look at the subjects around this statement. Subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. This list can be best summarized in the last statement, 
showing every consideration to all men. The King James states it, showing meekness on all men. But one of my references noted this about this verse. This statement does not denote outward, does not denote outward expression of feeling, but an inward grace of the soul. Calmness toward God in particular, considering his dealings with us as good as they enhance the closeness of our relationship with him. Let me read that again. This last statement, showing consideration for all men, does not denote outward expression of feeling, but an inward grace of the soul, calmness toward God in particular, considering his dealings with us as good as they enhance the closeness of our relationship with him. In other words, you trust God for every person and situation that enters your life. Because you're going to have people you don't like come into your life. You're going to have situations you don't like come into your life. And these people and in these situations is where God wants you to minister. We think of ready for every good work as in ready to jump in at any moment. Paul is giving us an understanding that our readiness lies not in our, that our readiness lies in our heart attitude toward others. We are not ready for every good work when we despise those around us. It is impossible to be gracious and compassionate. Remember Psalm 111. Otherwise, verses 4 through 8. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not in the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are profitable, good and profitable for men. Paul reiterates salvation through Christ and not by works, made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And Paul tells Titus so that those who believe in God, what God has done, should be careful to engage in good deeds. We are to take care, to concentrate upon, be careful, and consider engaging in good works because of what God has done for us. It is not done randomly or accidentally, but as a practice with intention and effort. Paul closes the letter, or almost closes the letter, with this statement in verse 14. Our people must learn also, excuse me, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so they will not be unfruitful. Why would Paul be so concerned? This is almost a pleading at the end of the letter. Because Jesus said in John 15, 8, my father is glorified in this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Understanding your life as a Christian 
and the responsibilities to honor and glorify your God? If you do not know how to do good works, are you bent on learning what God desires of you in it? For if you do not do the works of God, you are unfruitful. If we are unfruitful, we are not Jesus' disciples. If we are not his disciples, we don't do the works of God. Look back at Psalm 111 with me. Specifically, verses 4 and 5. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. This psalm is about the works of God. Go down to Psalm 112 with me. This is the works of the man who fears God, the upright, verses 4 through 6 again. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in the judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. The righteous man and woman do the works of God with the same attributes as the work of God. And if we are the works of God and we are doing as he has told us to do in our lives, then look what it said at the end of verse 5 and 111. Excuse me. First part of verse 4. He made his wonders or wonderful acts to be remembered. This life is short, and you are part of his works. Are you being obedient in the works he has given you? I'd like to end by reading John 5.36 again. Except I'd like you to take the big M and make it a little M in your mind. The works which the Father has given me to do, given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that Jesus has sent me. What is your testimony? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Lord, it has been such a learning experience for me this past week to see what I do is in direct relation to what you would have me do. That your heart and your attributes should be reflected in what I do daily. Because you have sent me that if I don't live daily, if I am not acting and doing the works you have given me, that you have established from the beginning, then they testify also of me. Father, I pray that myself first and my brethren around me, that we would take hold and get on our knees and say, Lord, what do you desire of me? You have bought me with a price. Let me glorify you in my body. In Jesus' name, amen.